All right. So if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago, and yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way, and that way is called Aribi. It's an awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captures. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your your website, and you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert? than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG, go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do, and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me, and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the DGMG Podcast. This is the place where I share marketing lessons and learnings every week. Got a good one for you. My guest on this episode is Patrick Moran. He's a CRO at Calendly. So, hey, Patrick, thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, you and I caught up a couple weeks ago, and now you're here, and I'm excited to talk to you. I know a lot of people are excited to hear from you. Just for some background people that might not know your backstory, give me like the two, three minute version of where you came from and what you're, and, and leading up to Calendly, but don't tell me about Calendly yet. We'll get into it. Perfect. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here as well. Let's see my background. I have been chief marketing officer at a couple of different places and um, all sorts of different titles. Uh, going back in time for a second, I grew up in the Boston area. I went to Emerson College thought I was going to record bands for a living. And that that uh, led to me, long story, starting a dot-com startup. This was late 90s. So that was the cool thing to do in uh, Boston. Raised $98 million. I'm sure we may talk about that later, but um, ended up 
essentially crashing and burning along with the other dot-coms. Uh, and so went back to working at in different tech companies after that. And let's see, I went to intranets.com. They got bought by WebEx. That brought me to the uh, West Coast here, which is where I live now in the Bay Area. After WebEx, I joined two or three bad startups and ended up at a company called New Relic. And at New Relic, I, I was probably employee 18 or 20. And we grew, or I was there through, oh gosh, I don't know, 100, 100 and something million dollars in revenue through the IPO. Left when we were about 1,000 people after the IPO because I needed a break. Uh, fast forward even further, uh, joined a company called, Be- or a VC firm called Benchmark as an entrepreneur in residence. And that gave me uh, access to Brett Taylor, who started Quip. I joined Quip. Sold uh, about a year into my tenure there to Salesforce, and I spent three years at Salesforce. Man, have I learned a lot. And after that, I uh, took a little bit of time off with the fam and joined Calendly. Calendly's been an amazing ride, and I can't wait to talk about it. I have a question. Like you, You've had a ton of hits. Hmm. You probably don't need to be doing this job right now. Why do you keep getting back on the, why do you keep getting back on the horse? It's a great question. Um, I think there's like unhealthy and healthy answers, right? The unhealthy is still have something to prove, whether it's to myself or to peers or, you know, I could probably, if this was a therapy session, I could probably tie it all the way back to childhood. You know, someone, someone wronged me and I, and everything I do since then is, is in response to that. There's, there's certainly a little bit about that. There's also, I love building teams. I love deploying energy towards, problems. Um, Everything that I show up to, I'm trying to, one, solve a a gnarly problem. I get excited by that. And then two, um, again, as I said, like working with people and building teams. And then three, I I need a creative outlet. You know, when I took time off, I I took drum lessons and and bought this fancy drum set. And while it fulfilled a small part of my creative side, it didn't follow all the way through. And so that brought me back. I did. I thought after Salesforce, I considered whether or not I wanted to do a full-time gig again. And not only did I do a full-time gig, I joined a a super fast, hot growing startup. So um, talk about throwing myself back into the fire. Uh, It's great. I mean, I think each one of the places that you've been at, I think people will, will have some familiarity with. And so I'm excited to kind of try to unpack that. One question for you is the way that I do these interviews is I just scribble a bunch of notes and I'm like, what questions do I want to ask you? So, so hang in there. No worries at all. Like when you went to New Relic, you were the first marketing person there. And that's like a whole different skill set or playbook that now you've kind of become like the, it's like that was the zero revenue guy. Now you're like the hundred million plus revenue guy. What has had to change? Like, can you be both of those people or have you had to like evolve in, in a certain way? Because I, I know even for me selfishly, like I, I have a hard time not being involved and in, I want to make that landing page. I want to write the headline, but then, you, you know, in order to do that, you got to be able to scale. What, what's changed with you? You are bumping into like quite literally the, it's sort of an altitude question. Like where, where should I be playing? And that actually went into my selection for Calendly, addressing your last bit first, because it's the easiest, you know, I do believe that as a person of a hundred million dollar run rate company, that it's quite reasonable to be involved at the landing page level. 
not forever, not, not constantly. I, you know, I, I got to give my team space to grow, but each touch point with a customer is so valuable that it, it's reasonable, especially as a new person coming in to sort of evaluate and, and provide at least some different thinking if, it, if the team has been here for a while. And so, so that, that's sort of the, the singular answer. Um, I definitely challenge anyone who's making career changes like that to think about where they want to be. You know, if I were to, Calendly has some things that are unique that I'm happy to talk about, but specifically series B level companies tend to, it's it, for me, it's post product market fit. So it's very painful. And it's a different marketing skill to try to discover where the product lives in the market and who the buyers should be and all that good stuff. I feel like I can do that, but like my excitement comes more from the scale side. And then again, Calendly is, is fairly unique. I've never actually joined a company this late in its cycle. So it, I've had to adjust and go with the flow basically of where the company is versus what I would do if I had a clean slate and it was early on and I could define and build all the teams the way I want to. So like, how do you, how do you split your time then? Right? Like if you, if you can be, if you kind of drew like the pie chart of how you spend your time as CRO and I'm, in a yeah. little bit, I want to get into like actually what you do as CRO at Calendly. Yeah. We'll talk specifically, but I just mean like in general, right? Because you kind of have this flaw. You said, I love building teams. Mm-hmm. I love the creative outlet. But, and I can also be involved at that level. So like, how do you, how do you pie chart your time to do that stuff? My first answer is poorly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am notoriously scattered and I'll say impulsive with my time. But the short answer is I'm trying to identify where problems are and not go where things are working. So we have a challenge of the cliche of moving up market. And so that's one of the things that where I spend a lot of time that also equates to a lot of sales understanding and, and up market, I keep doing air quotes, but like up market attention and focus. And so that's my first answer is trying to identify where the problems are. And then I think the second is it still is back to team building. We have a very small team here at Calendly and a need to grow it fairly exponentially. And those two things, when I've, I've been here about six months and I would argue the first four months, more than half my time was in recruiting, building a team. Yeah. And then the other half was poking around in, in marketing and sales to try to understand what levers to pull or what problems to solve. It's kind of like, and I, I've seen this pattern with a bunch of um, successful CMOs is like, it's this pattern of building the team is really the whole job. And because mm-hmm. and that's something that I didn't understand until recently, like it literally is the whole job because if you build a badass team that yep. you can kind of do what, you know, you can kind of, you can go poke into sales. You can go pick poke into marketing. You can go poke around the landing page. It's like, it's really this balance of like build the team and be kind of like the managing editor of the, of the revenue function. I use that metaphor a lot. Oh, you do? Yeah. The, the editor versus creator. It's a cheap way of saying, like, I get to poke at your work. And this sounds like I'm, I'm like this, like, super critical person in, in creative process. But, like, I do get to take what's there and mold it a little bit versus create brand new stuff yeah. at, at a company yeah. at this stage. That's cool. One thing that I talk about a lot is I have this line that I said, life is too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. I love that line and I and I've heard it from you before and I very much agree. And it seems like I wanted to say it to you cuz like seems like you know how to pick them. Uh New Relic, fantastic company, Salesforce, yeah. uh, Quip, fantastic company, right? Calendly, fantastic company. It seems like 
I'm asking you in the lens of like, not just agree with me because that obviously felt yeah, nice, yeah. <laughs> but no. like you're someone who's been picking jobs over the last decade, right? And yeah. I, I got to figure that the CEO and their understanding of marketing has been such a key factor in where you decided to go. 100% that is true. The joke that I've said, or, or at least the, the you know, quip that I've said at different times, and someone called me this and it sort of stuck with me, is, is being sort of a founder whisperer. And I, that sounds so gross and cheesy, but all I mean is that if you can build a relationship with the founder and, and, and almost play back their vision, hopefully in a, in a you know, marketing way, um, you can earn trust. And, so, and that's sort of a blanket, hey, you could apply that to any. The reality too, though, is in my, um, now that I get to at least sit and control where I go and not just go because I need a job and, and all that stuff, I'm, I'm very selective in, in trying to understand, hey, what's it going to be like to work with this person? And, and to your point, I've been really lucky in, in finding the folks that, that are at minimum tolerant of me and then two are a hundred percent supportive. I'll add too, like the CMO role in my, in my mind is should also have a relationship with the board and, or at least, you know, understand where the board's relative comfort is with marketing and, and all of those things. So yeah, I think all of those are components to making the right decision. How, how would somebody find that out? If someone wasn't like Patrick Moran, for example, like how you're the CMO and you, you want to have a relationship with the board. Cause I'm guessing it doesn't just mean, once a year, you might present at the board meeting, and that's all they know. Like, yeah. how do you how do you create that relationship? The CMO to CEO or founder dynamic. Let's see. You know, before you join the the, you can't have enough conversations prior to joining, right? And you got I, I didn't do this early on, but now what I do is I have I try to break every relation every um, decision down into a rubric or at least like break it down into smaller chunks. And so as it relates to the relationship with the CEO, it's like, all right, marketing, it's always thinking about budget. Where where does this CEO fall on that continuum? Uh, How opinionated versus, versus how much do they listen in these interviews? Do they have product market fit already, which also speaks to their ability to understand marketing, right? You know, each one of these things add to the, you know, will they have empathy for my challenges and, can I empathize with the challenge of being the founder at their particular company? I do think that's what it comes down to. And, and as I said, like I'll use Tope, the CEO of um, and founder of Calendly, for example, I met him in 2019 because he was looking for, he was searching. I always joke that we fell in love. And I, I only mean that in like the heads nodding in every single meeting, couldn't spend enough hours together. Like, Hey, let's do this. And I backed away because I needed time uh, with my family, I needed time away from corporate, needed to decide what I wanted to do when I grow up and all of those things, but, and did all of those things. And then came back to him literally a year later, picked up the conversation right where we left off. And, and within a month or two, I was there. So uh, I, it's hours. In that case, it's months. That's obviously a rare one. But um, actually, I don't know how rare it is. Actually, I would bet that the best relationships happen over time and lots of, you know, in investment and retraction, like I do think that's the experience yeah. that I've had. I, I have no, I like most things I say, I have no data on this, just like other than my own personal feeling. And, and but like people that I know, at least, it's like, oh, the, it, there's always some story like that. Like you've been connected to the CEO for a couple of years, you yeah. know, you've kind of always traded emails. I think very rarely is it like posted a job for CMO, 
got a bunch of inbound candidates sorted through. And I'm not saying it can't happen that way for sure. It can, but like, I think this was like a slow progression into like, you knew you were on the same page. And so then it kind of just became more about the tactical stuff to figure it out. That's exactly. And, and I'll, I'll just add, uh, as it relates to the board, you know, I, circumstantially it was kind of funny in tooth. I joined uh, new relic in 2010. I was a candidate for the head of marketing for Zendesk or for new relic. And Peter Fenton was from benchmark was on the board of both. And that's how I first met him was through sort of like the interview process. And, and I was, you know, hemming and hawing about which to choose. And so one, that's where like, he got to understand my thinking and how I was making decisions. And then two, I was able to spend, you know, double the time with him as we made this decision. And I ended up going with new relic largely because, you know, Zendesk already had great branding and, and solid marketing being built. Whereas new relic, it was, it was, you know, there was some stuff there, but it was largely a clean slate. And so I could impact the business more than I probably could have at Zendesk. And the rest was history. Uh, the way I met everyone else largely was through Peter and, and through that relationship. Was the fit between Zendesk and New Relic more because your your background was more on the brand side than, and that's not what they needed or like? No, I, you know what I'd argue in, in retrospect, I don't know that I had these sensibilities then, but the, the challenge of it, it, New Relic was targeting developers at least for the first hundred million dollars before we started moving up market to the IT buyer. And the challenge of winning the hearts and minds of developers and building a brand there. And I, I'm using building the brand as if it's like a, it's a, like a visual exercise. It's really, you know, building marketing at this entire company. I, I knew that I could solve a bigger problem there than within Zendesk, which again, sort of had the motions in place and, you, and I don't mean to minimize it all, but it was, it was, it was basic B2B marketing. Whereas man, New Relic was gnarly in trying to understand what it meant to find developers that were willing to deploy this new thing into their code and trust it and all, all of this. Got it. All right, let's talk about Calendly. This is what a lot of people will want to hear about. So what? Yeah. what's the role? How do you see your role as CRO of Calendly? What's the breakdown? What's the what's the org, you know, nuts and bolts stuff? Totally. I will um, I'll meander through it for a second. So first of all, Chief Revenue Officer here means... Uh, marketing sales partnerships, and then sort of go to market operations. Um, I've been here about six months, report to the CEO company has, is going and continues to go through and is actually accelerating on the growth front. And now I'll jump to the, so that all sounds fairly straight up. I've actually never run a sales organization much bigger than the one that I'm doing now. And candidly, it was, it was in a startup, not at a, unicorn. So those are two major differences. And I can speak to that because, you know, as a product-led or PLG company, product-led growth company, it is not sales-based, sales team-based. It is, in Calendly situation, it's a viral loop that creates a flywheel that is just unbelievable. And so I can pretend that I'm on, you know, at the helm of that flywheel and I'm adjusting. And, and, but the reality is the product does a lot of the work, right? And quite simply, it's, it's because the experience is great, both for the person ske- giving the link to schedule and then the, the recipient also has a great experience and, and it's an aha moment and it's just like, wow, what just happened? That was so much easier than the back and forth. 
the number of people that sign up every day is as a result of that experience is bonkers. And just to yeah. give you a sense of scale, it's hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people now every single month sign up for Calendly. Hundreds of thousands. It's like, yes. so what does a marketing team do? They just hang out. Yeah, we just we just hang out and sales definitely doesn't do anything. No, <laughs> kidding. But what, okay, so but like, it's pretty wild, right? And, and this is out there so people can look it up. But like yeah. the, the stat that came out in 2020 was that Calendly was over 70 million. And so it's like, yep. it's not often that you go and staple sales and marketing on after. Yes. And so I'm sure that I think for people listening that that probably also has to change the approach. It's like, you know, you, you already have this thing going. Yeah. It's not like the magic is with the product. And if you're a marketer or a salesperson, yep. of course, you know that I love marketing. I, I love it. That's what I yep. talk about all the time. But like, do marketing at Calendly. Yep. Don't don't do the you know like that's like selling. I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm having a brain mess today. But like yeah. that's where you want to go. Do it right. Like so. So I I think I have an answer to that, which is or a comment on that, which is marketing and sales and partnerships. Candidly, are all the goal has to be to to be additive and to be an accelerant. So the growth rate is more than 100 percent year over year. Still is that today. I should note that it's also massively profitable. Because you don't have to invest in marketing, you don't have to invest in a big sales organization. None of these things are actually part of the the story, right? And so, with that comes, it's a funny thing, right? I, I inherited five people in marketing, four of which are, are had essentially the title content marketing manager, and then and then the leader for that team. And then on the on the sales side, I inherited five, maybe six people on, that were quota carriers, and then two managers and, and that kind of thing. And wait, so, so, so hold on. So, so there's a Calendly was a $70 million plus company with a marketing team of four people, basically all content and five, yeah. six sales reps. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> these are, these are the stats that drive every marketing leader at, at not Calendly yeah. insane because every yeah. VC and board and CEO is like, I need, I, these are the efficiency metrics we need. <laughs> yeah. I hate the efficiency metrics that we have in part because if you look at it as having to compete with those, you can't, you can't, you know, the, the CAC is ridiculous. Every metric in a high velocity PLG company like this are, have to be different than a more traditional B2B sale. So yes, it's, it's, it, I inherited two teams that were super talented, but didn't have to carry the weight of driving the business forward. And I always say the way I, you know, I inherited organizations that were very immature relative to the really mature other parts of the organization. So we have a data analytics team that that rolls up to the um, CFO. They are amazing. Now, normally when I would come into a company, like I'd set up like killer data analytics because it didn't exist and, and people were focused on, you know, enabling the sales team or what have you here, like, I have imposter syndrome coming into a lot of a lot of meetings because like the data is already there and it's up to me to or you know my team to infer and make decisions. So that's one soundbite. The second is though, for all the strengths that we have, the learning curve for or let me say this as a problem. The, the challenge that I've identified that I spend the most of my time on is everyone sees Calendly as that simple link that you copy paste into your email. And you send it off and, and it's a, a one-to-one sort of productivity tool 
it's got that aha moment. People pay eight, nine bucks, 12 bucks a month, whatever it is individually. And that's true. There are hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people that are paying individually on their own credit cards. Um, but the reverse problem of that from a, from stating it as a marketing uh, challenge is that we are also a platform for scheduling that can be embedded into your customer facing workflows, your recruiting workflows. We integrate with Salesforce and, and, Last month, we drove 3 million Zoom meetings were scheduled on our platform. Uh, you can integrate with your applicant tracking systems. If, and so all of those stories, 99% of the people that sign up have no idea that they could, or 90%, whatever it is, have no idea that, that we can be a business solution for their whole company and you could embed us in their workflows and watch productivity, not just at the individual level, but like across an entire sales or SDR organization and watch it skyrocket. So turning the, the beauty of the flywheel and the simplicity of sign up into a problem, which some of my teammates are annoyed by, it is actually the way to think about it because now we're identifying that, well, all right, to unlock B2B, we have to we have to be talking different language and we have to educate a market, which is exactly what marketing is here to do. Hey, real quick, I just want to plug the DGMG community. You can go and join it right from my website, DaveGerhardt.com. By the way, if you haven't been there, DaveGerhardt.com, you'll have all the links. That's how you can go join. But DGMG, the community, it's my members only B2B marketing community. In the last year, it's grown to over 2,500 members. And it's incredible because it's like having a sounding board outside of your company, which is so valuable as a marketer. So inside of the group, people are getting feedback. They're getting recommendations on tools. They're getting campaign ideas. They're, sometimes people even message me to post anonymous questions about salary and hiring and interviewing. I'm in the group every single day, like sharing my own stuff too. There's 10 to 12 new posts every day. If you join, you can go all the way back as far as the group goes to see all of the content from the last year. And I don't want to oversell it, but I know that you'll see ROI from it instantly. It's $10 a month to join. You can cancel at any time, so there's really no risk. And you can kind of, you can always DM me and tell me if you thought it was a fraud. So it's $10 a month to join. There's 2,500 members in there. It's become an incredibly valuable part of my workflow as a marketer, and I know it will for you too. So you can go and sign up at davegerhardt.com. There's a link you'll see over there to join the DGMG community. All right, let's get back to this episode. It's, it's just so different. Like it, it's such a different story than I think what, you know, most of the companies that I, I talk to, or we hear from is like, get revenue up and running, get revenue up and running. Yep. And you're, you're applying the like positioning, messaging strategy story to this. Like if, if you, obviously you can't share too many secret sauce things about, yep. about what you guys are doing, but like, how do you think about what's marketing? Like what's the marketing function uh, going to do and how are you going to measure that moving forward? First of all, great question. Um, earlier, we spoke about um, relationships with CEOs and founders. So my, my concern, like from a marketer perspective joining was, uh-oh, is this going to be a situation where I'm challenged on who I'm going to hire and I'm going to be challenged on every dollar that I spend and, and all of these things. And so part of the, 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 to the extent that I could control the process, I was like, hey, Tope, the founder, you know, I want to work with you to develop what the organization, to the extent that I know what it looks like within Calendly, I want to I talk to what best-in-class organization looks like in sales, marketing, and partnerships, right? 
And we went through that process before I even joined. So it was basically like, here's the org design, knowing what you have and knowing what I, again, lots to prove, but knowing what best practices would look like. There was no product marketing. So you need to have a, a killer product marketing team. Demand gen, but but demand gen looks different than just MQLs and SQLs. It's, it's conversion rates on the website. It's understanding the signups. It's, you know, I have a robust database with literally over 10 million users, right? And like, and how do I navigate that database and segment and, and all of those things? So built, it showed that and it went, the team went from four to I think 23 people on the marketing side in that original plan. I said, I need to spend X millions of dollars uh, to find the edge that is, um, this additive to not just blow the money, but, but make it additive. And then on the sales side, same thing. It was, it was, all right, we've got four people that are, or five people on quota that are that are essentially not segmented or lightly segmented and that one rep got these enterprise leads and what, but the sales process is the exact same. The deal size was the exact same. You know, to properly build a segmented sales organization, you need to have segmented skills. You need to have a segmented lead flow. You need to have different stories and different, and understand that enterprise has a, a velocity component, but it also has a strategic component. You have to build out all those things. Did all of that conversation before I joined. You had all that before you joined, you said. Yeah. And 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 then, you know, the next worry, well, did he follow through on that? Absolutely. In fact, I'm the numbers got bigger and I, I don't know where I am marketing wise, but it's at least twelve people now and, and sales is with all the supporting enablement and such is at least twenty people. And so like these teams are growing based on early success and, and also the role of the die bet on the org design that I, yeah. that I was imagining. I also like it just because from a, from a actually coming in and getting stuff done perspective, I think you can, you see a lot of execs get hired and they do all the things you just talked about in the first three months. And so now you're yeah. in month four and you're just starting to yeah. do it. Was that intentional that you and Tope like kind of did that or was it a luxury just because of, you know, you weren't, you weren't doing anything before this? You know, it, it was both, but I would most certainly say that it definitely accelerated the path to building. The thing that I didn't, I don't know, in terms of like insights or what have you is what I didn't understand and what I, based on my career, I never thought I would do is be such an internal evangelist for enterprise selling, right? You know, my narrative, if I were, if I'm in an interview situation or whatever, is like, oh, I, I, I bring sort of B to C sensibilities to selling to b2b right like I, I focus on the end user and i try to make them the heroes and like like i have like again this sort of playbook and then i came in and, and i was i never really got excited about enterprise marketing and then i come here and the biggest opportunity is telling the story that we're already doing which is last week we closed a customer that's spending two hundred fifty thousand dollars with Calendly a year and, and I, if you think I about paid 12, I paid 12 bucks. <laughs> right, exactly. And so think of the marketing challenge thing. And so that's the, the opportunity that I didn't see, but that I now see is, is that the enterprise story, it's already happening, but we're not telling the world about it. And so that's an example, again, finding the problem and going after it rather than the other way. Around. Well, and I'd imagine that like you're not, you don't need to go do a bunch of like net new lead generation because you have yep. people in your database. And so it's more finding out like, okay, three people at this company are using Calendly. Could we go out to them with a, 
with a yeah. single sign-on enterprise, whatever type of story. Yeah. The, the only thing I'll note, because you know, from your listenership around marketing is, and I, I presume I'll get heads nodding, which is like there's a big difference between end-user marketing and finding the right buyer who has the the buying authority and decision-making and, and sort of a strategic lens on the value of that product. And the people that originally signed up for Calendly Walking them or identifying them, propensity to buy, and all the things that we do as marketers, the list of people out of the 10 million person database or whatever is actually a, it's a finite number and it is a needle in the haystack. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the list of people that can spend $12 a month is very big. The list of people that can spend $250,000 a month is very small. Yep. How do you orchestrate both of those things? I think like, one of the things I see the most questions about is more companies are shifting to this model, right? You have the the high end and the low end. Yep. How does your website speak to this audience? How do you actually go and how are you enabling the marketing team? Like, are you going to have separate teams? Is this one team's effort? I'd love to just hear some of that. You know, I mentioned earlier that I, I spent three years at Salesforce. The There are lots of different learnings, a lot about sales enablement, which is going to be relevant here, but is less relevant. But the centrality of product marketing uh, and having them drive strategy more so than demand gen, which, you know, when you're in a startup, they take like a, a more authoritative, like we're spending the money or at least in the organizations I run, like yeah, we're spending the money. We, we know who we're targeting. And so that like they sort of pull the rest of the organization product marketing here, the roles are very uniquely dedicated to the different segments. Right. And, and so enterprise, there's a product marketer that's dedicated to the enterprise, and he does not think much about the outside of the <laughs> yeah. And then we will, we don't today, but we'll have a, a product marketer that's focused specifically on use the, the you know prosumer market, to, for lack of a better word. And the overlap is there, right? You know, you, you have hundreds of thousands of salespeople and, and recruiters that do overlap with the with the um, people that are going to end up buying on the enterprise side, but there's enough there there. And, and sorry to, to finish my point around product marketing, like Salesforce, giving them a lot more power to drive strategy than mm -hmm. than perhaps in other places is is a key thing. And when you say company. when you say drive strategy, does that mean like obviously positioning? Yep. As it relates to the market, but like actual marketing strategy? Because I've seen that typically come more from demand gen. And that, that's where there can be some some confusion. Like is, is product marketing going to define the channels? Like how are we going to go like yeah. in the enterprise segment? How, where are we going to get these customers from? Do they own that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, my, my uh, nuanced answer is, is you need to have, they need to work in tandem. I will say that the only way, and I watched this actually, you know, I hired our demand gen leader first and, and the, the overwhelmed look on his eyes. And I've worked with, with the person I hired for a dozen years or so. And so like watching him try to figure out where to get started was, was overwhelming. And, and so we focused again, what is the bigger problem? It's B2B. Okay. So we're going to build a B2B. We're going to bring in Pardot for, for that section of our database. And we're going to we're going to use Clearbit data in this way. And like, so, so focused him there. Meanwhile, build product marketing. Now, at least at minimum, at, at, at like the most basic, he can go from meeting to meeting. And if there's a product marketer that's aligned, he, 
he and his team can can put on the right hat and be focused on either consumer behavior or prosumer behavior versus enterprise. So that, it's sort of a cheap answer to say no, you still need both. But I, I think uh, my demand gen team's head would nod that yeah, there's a um, having product marketing be a partner and not and being very aware of who they're targeting just makes for better marketing strategy and plan. Yeah, and and, and it, as long as there's clear there's clear goals for the team, then it's. It should be. Okay. Let's wrap up with this question, which is you're going to grow an org from like five people. Let's just say on the market, you said four to 23 this year, new CRO company is remote. Yep. And by the way, you're you're adding this to a company that was doing just fine without everybody, <laughs> right? Yep. What are you thinking about as term, you know, as far as building the team and like, what does it mean as the C-level version of you as you build a team in, in this kind of next generation of work? First of all, whatever I say, I have no idea if it's right or not, because this, I, I, I not, there aren't many companies that are growing as remarkably quickly and profitably as, as Calendly. You know, it, it, I try to find parallels and benchmarks and Dropbox and, you know, other high volume and it's rare. So it, it's not that, I, that I'm in rarefied air, but the business model is in rarefied air, right? To answer that, though, I have to... What, one of the things that's... It actually ties back to an earlier part of the conversation we had around, you know, do I have time to touch a landing page and or should I be and, and all of that stuff, right? And the answer is no in the sense that I have to empower leaders um, to run the different groups. And... And so those were my first hires first. And like I partnered with our um, chief people officer, this guy, Jeff Diana, who came from Success Factors and before that Atlassian. And so he's seen the movie of scaling at record scale and applying sort of the, no, go get the right here, the, sort of the director, senior director, VP things all, all melded into a head of role. So get the right head of demand gen, get the right head of product marketing and let them build their teams to the extent possible, right? It doesn't mean that I, I was frozen until I find those key heads, but that mental model of deploy the best team that I can and trust them is definitely the spirit of what I'm doing. Um, and yet I can't help but meddle in their worlds. And and they're new to, you know, none of these people were here six months ago, so it's quite the change, you know, year over year. I will note too, just uh, probably out of sync from a conversation perspective, but the the remote first thing has been a wild change. I never thought that I'd want to work from home and yet I didn't want to travel and I didn't want to go into San Francisco every day. I love it. And it's allowed me, my head of product marketing is in Portland, Oregon. Uh, my head of de- demand gen just moved to San Diego. The head of content is in Atlanta. Like so awesome to be able to go find talent no matter where they are instead of you know, tied to the location. Yeah. I was just making a note of that. Cause I'm always thinking about like, what, what thing am I going to pull out for the clip, yeah. the trailer? And I, I have a, just so you know, cause it's fun. 13 minutes. We talked about how you evaluated the CEO. That's a pretty good yeah. one. Then we talked about like what the role of CRO is at Calendly. But I think that one, that was the most timely. And, yeah. and I like that. And I think it's so true. Like you get to build this team and basically have a wide open field for talent yeah. versus like if you were like, nope, we're in Atlanta yeah. only yeah. and we're in San Francisco only. It's it's so different. So, And I'm just trying to push that message more because I, I still see some companies that are – I have this job board, DGMG Jobs, yeah. and 
90% of the roles people are posting are remote, but every now and then I'll see somebody post like a director of marketing in this office. I'm just like, I think you're going to lose. Yeah. Maybe not. You can find somebody in that area, but it just seems like it's not, whether you want to do it or not, it's like you're not playing competitively if that's the path. Uh, that, is, that is such great language. You are, you are not playing competitively if you can't. And by the way, as I recall, you're in Vermont, right? I'm in Vermont. Yeah. So many people are like full time. I'm like, yep, full time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, the rules were rewritten. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, other than time management between personal and career, I have a hard time finding that balance. But other than that, I'm so much more flexible and comfortable and you know I, I think behind me you probably can't see him but I, my dog is snoring behind me and like yeah what a, what a cool way to do work I know I guess the trade-off is getting out of bed at 9 15 and running down to the office and like oh, I forgot to write something down and then <laughs> yep. I'm in the office and, um, oh yeah. okay I gotta ask you this yeah. one like two minute yeah, two yeah. minute answer tell me one marketing thing uh why is Mark Benioff so great at marketing what'd you learn from him oh yeah oh that is a good question uh because I, I worked for Brett Taylor, I got fairly unique access to Mark on occasion early on. And he, uh, gosh, what the, his storytelling ability is amazing. His comfort in, in being excitable every single time, like I, there was never, you know, st- a meeting will start low energy and then he'd find the excitement and it's always a marketing thing, not, not, a, not an operational thing. It's like, Yes, and we should be doing that. Why are we doing that? And and like and further, sorry, he he also was constantly studying other companies. So like, why why don't we do that, Moran? You know that kind of thing. And I, and I'll give you the best example. My entire tenure, I had a big title, you know, on paper, but like, I'm within the quip division within Salesforce, within within like like I'm I'm not important, which is part of the reason like I, I you know don't thrive in a place like that. But like I would send somewhere along the line, he signed up for our webinar uh, invites for Calendly. I don't think there was oh one God. that he didn't reply and say, um, does this headline actually work? Question mark, question mark. I mean, and then Aloha or, or Mahalo or whatever. Like, and I, I consider myself fortunate in that regard. But like, I mean, I, oh gosh, we were 45,000 person company, I think at that point. And I'm not kidding. He's replying back with, love this. We should be doing this across the company or, and then complaints that like, that was a positive one, but the other one would be, there's no way that people care about that or no way Salesforce customers care about this. Cause he knows he's so in tune. I love that. He's signing up for freaking Calendly webinars and giving you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> giving right. you right. he probably is, you know, it's specifically, this was that quip, but like, it was like, yes. And then, sorry, you always say you gave me two minutes. I'm going to take 10, but this is super, super quick too, which is he, um, when I first joined, because you know we you know we were new and we were the shiny object and all the things that are normal in sort of the acquisition process, I got to fly around with him and the CMO and and a bunch of folks and do the pre-Dreamforce roadshow. And so we flew into Boston. The room was all set up. They invited 13 big Boston CEOs, um, and they all came because it's Salesforce and. Mark would do the pitch, like full what the deck is going to be. And then and then we'd sit and because they had just bought Quip, we'd open up Quip and we'd take notes one each person at a time. He'd go around the room and say, okay, John, thank you so much for attending. What did you think about my Dreamforce pitch? And then the next and then the next and the next. 
it was like the quip document was crazy long. And then on, I'm not kidding you on the flight to New York, we edited the presentation so that the next audience saw the better version. How amazing is that? That's insane. I mean, from most people, from a lot of people that we hear from is like, can't even get the CEO to tweet. Yes. And, and you got this guy, you know, iterating on versions of the pitch yep. on the plane. That's amazing. Yep. That's amazing. Patrick, this was amazing. So uh, I'm glad we made the time to do it. I appreciate you. Last question that I wrap yep. up with is uh, give me one CRO or CMO. Yep. I'll take either that I got to have on now that you've talked. Oh, man. Um, you know who you should have? only because it's tied to this conversation is Stephanie Buscemi, who was at Salesforce as the CMO for what, four or five years, maybe three or four years. And I'm happy to introduce to the extent that she, you know, has the time. She's now the the CMO at Confluent, which is a benchmark company that I would imagine is, is going public. The woman that runs sales was also the head of enterprise sales at New Relic. And so we're talking two amazing women who are in a deep tech space, right? Like, you know, Kafka, whatever the Confluent does, I don't actually even know. And and so Stephanie would be amazing because in the specific conversation to, you know, keep her focused would be going from Salesforce to a, a I don't know, it's probably 500, 700 person company. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, you, you don't often see that of a CMO at that, at that level. I, I'm so, I love that she did All right. it. So. I'm going to just put this, yeah. look, if she can do it, she can do it. But here's how this is going to go down. I'm going to tell people, this is what I do. After this, I'm going to send Patrick an email and he it's a nicely written up email that he can easily forward and he's yeah. going to send it to Stephanie and say, just went on his podcast. It's great. If you can do it, you should make time for it. But I want to call this shot, which is a couple of years ago, she connected with me on LinkedIn yeah. and I'm like, why is the CMO of Salesforce connecting with me on LinkedIn? And so about every every eight months, 12 months, I've sent her a message to try to get yeah. her to come on. And so we'll see if you have the magic touch. Uh, we'll see if we have the magic touch, but I, I can almost guarantee that it's because you had made a name for yourself at Drift and in, in your career is like nailing content marketing, bringing authenticity and bringing um, the real value of social media to drift and, and what have you. And I can guarantee that one of two things happened. Either Mark took notice and said, Hey, you should be doing what, what they're doing over here or same deal. She took notice because he's trained us to or trained everyone to be super aware of the new things that are happening and conversational marketing and all the things that, that were part of that storyline uh, came from you. And I can only imagine that that's, that's where that started. Man, I'm, I'm going to, let's, let's frame yes. that. Let's take that. Let's we're going to sell that last 40 seconds as an <laughs> NFT. Okay. Love it. Patrick, I appreciate you. I will, I will send you all the links and everything. When this goes live, people should go and look you up and follow you. Otherwise, thanks for doing it. You're awesome. And uh, I'll, I'll talk you to rock. you. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the DGMG Podcast. If you learned anything new from this episode or got one valuable piece of marketing knowledge, it'd make my day to leave a review. I like to look at them. I like to see what people are thinking and hear about. Or if you didn't like it, leave me some feedback. Otherwise, I will talk to you on the next episode. See ya.